impact and fixed spec, this is Founders Anonymous, the podcast that helps you move your business up a gear. I'm your host, David Trott. And I'm Chris Lees. Hi, and welcome to the final Founders Anonymous episode of this season. I'm Chris Lees, and coming up this week, what's your biggest weakness? We look at the nuts and bolts of hiring people, how to find them, how to pick the best ones, bad times and hard men, what's been happening on Twitter this week. With me, as always, is David Trott. David, how's your week been? Yes, it's been a good week. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I've got some new sandals. I've noticed. (laughs) So I've got... It's it's an Australian brand called Reef, and I've had this pair of Reef sandals for like six, seven years or so, and they are just the single best sandals you will ever buy in your life. They are incredible. Like they've taken me around the world. They are amazing, and they broke last week, and I was devastated. But I managed to get hold of some. They arrived yesterday, and I am delighted. Awesome. You, you're sounding very chipper. And the reason why we're going on a bit of a break is because David is going away on holiday. So I think that's also contributing to you being chipper. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. I mean, as, as much of a holiday as you get when you run your own business. Yeah. Plus in COVID times, a holiday means Manchester, right? So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's the, the city of God, isn't it? I, I can't comment. I've never been there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll come up at some point, visit Altrincham. As I, I know I, you're desperate to I, do. You know what? I've got a whole bag full of dry cleaning. I desperately need to find a good dry cleaners in Altrincham. Do you know any? <laughs> uh, I'll have a look. Okay. Last week, we tackled the first challenge of hiring. That's how to tell when it's time to grow your team. And this week, we're looking at the next step. How to find people and how to pick the best ones for your business. Chris, for those listeners who are trying to deal with this issue... What's your best advice on where to find good people? Okay, so in, in the course of my business, I've, I've had lots of different employees, employees based in the UK, uh, employees who are permanently remote. And essentially for me, it, it kind of, in terms of finding people, it boils down to three different routes. First of all, they are people that you've already worked with or you know well right? Then there's a second category, which is perhaps what people more traditionally think of, which is the entirely cold category. You put up some sort of job advert somewhere, maybe it's, you know, a poster in the window, or it's um, something online like Indeed or something like that. And you get people who are just coming in completely cold, you have no idea who they are and what they're capable of. And then there's this third category that's actually a very useful category. And it's somewhere in the middle, which is, you don't actually know them, but they are a friend of a friend. And we have in Fixpec right now, we've kind of got a mixture of all of these people. We've got people who are known to me, who I've worked with in the past directly. We have people who have come in entirely cold. And we have people who are actually referred to us by people that we know and trust. And so those are really the three categories. It's known, referred, and cold. In terms of what works out of those three, which is really your question, I would say that the success rate of people who are known to you is significantly higher than the cold guys. Yeah. They tend to come in with a far more sort of strategic understanding and perspective on things. The guys who are coming in cold tend to, you know, obviously it takes a while to build up a relationship. And slowly, slowly, if, if they do like what you're doing in the business and they, they understand it, then they become very valuable to you. Yeah. So known is always the best way of going about it. Cold, if you absolutely have to. Uh, in the middle, there's this referred category. Ask all of your friends, do you know somebody who's really, really good at X or Y that can help you? Yeah. 
Cool. Okay. And I guess the the known and the referral groups have a bit of an advantage in that because of that relationship, they already have a bit of buy-in to what you're trying to do with your business. Yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. So, for example, Paul, who's our business development executive, uh, he came in through a referral from Rob um, and uh, he's doing very, very well. Right. Um, and the, the fact that he came in as a, as a referral, he's getting independent um, evaluation, if you like, of well, what's this job going to be like? Before he even accepts the job, right? yeah. and that's really, really important to get them bought in um, to 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 the job and be successful yeah. in it. Yeah, sure. And I guess some of those it's not all positive, right? Because there there can be challenges with bringing on people that that you know or are friends with. Yeah, if you need to have a difficult conversation with them. Yeah, oh, and um, one of the one of the main negatives that I've I've experienced in the past with people who really just they're a team and they go from one company to another company is there's this temptation to try to reproduce what you did in the last company where you were together, right? Yeah. As if that was that was absolutely correct, and you've just got to re- reproduce that and possibly do it a little bit cheaper. Like that tends to be their business goal. That's really not a positive thing, and actually bringing in new people is great because you get those fresh new ideas. You can mix things up a little bit and do things a little bit differently. So um, there's definitely pros and cons to, to taking on known people. Yeah, cool. Okay. So, I mean, for each of these three groups, the way you talk to them, I guess, will be slightly different. But at the same time, you've still got to talk about some of the challenges we covered last week in, you know, identifying the gaps in your business and and what you need help with and and what those people are there to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think there's probably less, let's call it administration uh, for the people who are known or come in referrals. You can be far more informal about the way that you describe the job and you need to be far more formal in the way that you describe it to people if they're coming in cold because you need to write job specs and, and and things like that, right? So I know that you've been doing this as well, right? So you've been writing job adverts, setting expectations and stuff like that. Do you have any tips and tricks? Because I'm not particularly good at it. Do, <laughs> do you have any good tips and tricks for people about how to write good job adverts or specs? Yeah, I th- yeah. Um, there are a few things that we've learned along the way. So the first thing that, that springs to mind is that, that there's a temptation when you sit down, if you sit down to just write a job spec or a person spec, the first thing that you're tempted to do is just write down what they're going to do. Yeah. Okay. So you just list out all the tasks and all the functions that they will fulfill. Mm-hmm. And you assume that people will read that and figure out whether or not they can do that. And then they'll figure out whether or not they should apply based on that. And I found this, I don't know if you found this as well, but people also take that with a pinch of salt. I'm obviously in a very technical field, right? And so you see these these job adverts that have a list of technologies and they say, this is really what you need to be able to fulfill this job. And people will look at them and as long as they meet, you know, 50% of them, they'll think that's enough. Do you find that people treat it with a grain of salt or, or not? Yeah, so what I don't want to do again is, I mean, we're two blokes talking about this and I think there is a huge gender imbalance in this in mm. this thing as well. So uh, in my experience, blokes are more likely to look at a job spec that doesn't describe them and think, yeah, I can probably do that and apply anyway than women are, which I think is a tremendous shame because I, I, I actually don't think that job description and person specs are 
as inflexible as people think they are. Mm-hmm. I think they are oftentimes they're they're like a wish list. Like yes. we would love it if we could find someone that did all of this. But realistically, you just want to find the best fit and the best person for the job. Right. And and it feels like there there are a lot of very good candidates that rule themselves out of applying for jobs by looking at the job description or the person spec, seeing that they don't fulfill one of the criteria and writing themselves out. And I think that's a real shame as well. And I'd love it if more people just went for it. But yeah, in answer to your question, I think it's a mixed bag. But okay, so there are some people though who write themselves into jobs that they're clearly not qualified for, right? So that kind of leads us on to the next step, which is you've got your job spec out there. Hopefully you've articulated, you know, a set of skills. Maybe that's a wish list. Maybe that's a hard set of skills that you really do need for them to be able to perform this function. How do you go about testing or asking them to demonstrate whether they actually have that or not? I think, again, just go back to the job description and the person spec. So mm. rather than having that scenario that we just described where you, you list a load of things, that tasks that you want this person to fulfill, I think it's our job as the business owners or as the guys writing the job adverts. We take that list of things and then we figure out what the outcomes are. And then using those two things, the tasks and the outcomes – Use those to figure out what the skills required are to do that. Yeah. Okay. So, for example, if I were to recruit a social content creator, um, say I've got a role to help write client content. Yeah. What I want them to do is write social media posts. That's the what. The outcomes might be the more measurable things. So, you need to produce 21 pieces of copy to go out across three platforms per week. Okay. So, we've taken the... I need someone that can write to, I need someone that can produce this sort of work in this time frame to this degree. And then once you've got that, you start looking at the skills required behind that. So the skills that I would want, for example, are a, a fairly good working knowledge of social media, mm-hmm. um, a fairly good working knowledge of content and how content can play out on different platforms. I want someone that's good at English. I want someone with good spelling, punctuation, and grammar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, you start listing out all these things. So you take this I want someone to write social media content and suddenly you've got, I want someone that's got excellent punctuation, grammar, spelling that can produce this. So you're really sort of setting the expectations for the role early on. And from all of that, that then bleeds into your question, which is how do people demonstrate that? Yeah. And I think that that brings in the interview process or at least the pre-interview assessment or whatever format you're recruiting in. It's your job to then figure out, right, for each of these points, how can someone demonstrate to me that they either know how to do this or they're just going to die on their ass when mm. I ask them to? So when, before we get to the actual interview step, you, you talked about a pre-interview assessment. And that's one of the things that I've been through very recently. We've, we've taken on a couple of developers uh, in in the Philippines or technical guys at least in the Philippines and um, the the local firm that we dealt with there put them through this technical assessment do you think that that's really required at the end of the day maybe it doesn't translate quite so much to your to your business yeah, area. well it I mean it does in our in our industry so I think it does have a role but it's got to be managed and set correctly mm. right there's nothing worse than putting a candidate or a bunch of candidates through a process that is quite punishing but doesn't really give you the insight or intelligence that you need yes so at one level it could be that all you're really doing is testing how robust these people's emotional resilience is because what you're essentially doing is putting them through some form of structured formalized bullying 
for <laughs> for whatever period of time because you think that's what you do as a job recruiter and oh, yeah. yeah this is aren't we all big and clever it's got to be matched to the outcomes that you want the skills that you want and the expectations right. of the job um, and if it isn't directly linked to those things how useful is that business intelligence right how how well is that informing your decision right and i think that that's a very good point because we went we went through this as i said with a couple of guys that we just uh, taken on in the philippines and we got all of this technical assessment and it was i'm going to describe it a, a best a, a a basic filtering let's put it like that so i think the guys that we that we took on perhaps they didn't score um you know the absolute highest of the cohort of people who who went through it um, but they, we thought that they had a better fit, you know, fit either culturally within the team, or they were more energized about the team that they were about to um, to join. They liked the flexibility that we offered. You know, it's always these other things. It's the interpersonal pieces that really allowed us to say yes, that's the person that we want to hire. Yeah, sure. As opposed to the person who is necessarily the strongest. I guess in your world, you know, what would the equivalent be? Here's here's an aggressive tweet. <laughs> please, <laughs> yeah, please on the fly, give me your response to this aggressive tweet. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Or here's a piece of content. Can you write a caption for this content that speaks to this demographic? Women aged 18 to 24 in yeah. this region of the UK. Yeah. It's, you know, there, there, there's things you can do that are directly related to the role. What you wouldn't do is get someone in a room, give them a box of Lego and say, solve world hunger. Yeah. And then walk away and come back in half an hour and go, mm, I like what you've done. <laughs> I, what, I, I, I genuinely, I don't see the point. Like it, it needs to have some sort of, it needs to give you that intelligence and, and that intelligence needs to be related to the role. Otherwise, I, I just don't see the point of it. Yeah. Having said that, there is a role, I think, for the more challenging and probing approach Okay. that is still related to the role and the skills that you're looking for, but is more challenging. So there's a temptation to just go with the, you know, the classic interview questions. Oh, what's, what's your biggest weakness? Oh, yeah. I'm a perfectionist. Oh, I'm too punctual. I do work too well. Like it just, uh, it's just, it's giving you nothing. It's giving you no insight. Yeah. Um, everyone knows what's expected. So um, I do think in certain roles, so when we used to recruit for sales positions and this was direct consumer sales positions like trade shows, shop floor stuff. Mm. One of the things that you want is somebody that's confident at dealing with unexpected situations and is able to take that in their stride conversationally. So what you actually need are those skills of, of thinking on your feet and not getting flustered and being able to handle difficult questions in a way that is still engaging and friendly and thoughtful and, and all that sort of stuff. So to demonstrate some of those skills, there is a role in the job interview process for giving people some quite difficult questions. Yeah. Not because you necessarily care about what the answer is, but because what you're trying to see is how they deal with that scenario and yeah. how they respond to that situation. Yeah. And again, I, I just make the point that the reason that is appropriate in that situation is because it is directly tied to the sort of person that you want to recruit and the job spec and the person spec, Yeah. right? Because if you're just doing that for the sake, you're just asking people difficult questions because you know it gives you a bit of a power hit and it's got nothing to do with the role that you're recruiting for, then yeah, yeah get out of the room, let someone else do it. <laughs> Let the grown-ups come in and, and recruit someone because you should be doing it. So I think that it's, it's, it feels like a subtle distinction, but I think it's an important one. No, I think it's, it's good. And the, and the thing that's going through my head right now is, is an interview question I had one time. My very first 
uh, one of the first job interviews I had, and the guy said, oh, I see that you studied maths at university. So do you consider yourself to be numerate? <laughs> yeah. Um, I said, okay, then. So pick a number between 50 and 100 that isn't divisible by five. And I went, mm, 71? And he's like, right, square it. <laughs> I'm like, that's a horrible, horrible question to ask in an interview. Obviously, no pen or paper or anything like that. It's just like, swear it. And at the time, I absolutely hated it. Yeah. And I got it wrong because I was flustered. And then he said with the biggest sneer on his face, he's like, do you want another maths question to try to redeem yourself? Or should we just move on? Yeah, I didn't get that job. But the looking back on it now, actually, it's kind of interesting because what he was trying to do is he was trying to get me to to say out loud, here's my strategy for approaching this thing. Yeah. And actually, the number, the actual you know maths question was, was kind of irrelevant. It's far more about how would you logically go about this in a pressurized situation, which I think is probably is probably right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but to your point, like one of the things that, you know, I try to do these probing questions, I think are very, very valuable in an interview situation because I, I use an interview as being a way of introducing them to the company and the environment and the culture that they might be joining to see how they respond to that. It's about using the, the, um, the questions not only to probe their, their reactions to things, but also set expectations about what the ultimate job is going to be. Mm, yeah. And actually, I, I try to do that as well in the, in the job description itself, right? So the job description, all of the job descriptions I tend to write tend to have quite an extensive section describing here's the type of work that we do. You know, the fact that we're a small team, everybody has a lot of responsibility. Again, it's just to get people to understand what this job's going to be like. Yeah, and, sure. And help them self-select. Because at the end of the day, they need to be successful. They should be successful. They should enjoy their job, <laughs> right? Then it's just a win-win for both people. Yeah, sure. And I think there's, so there's two really important points that occur to me. The first is that being able to explain um, your your business and your culture is more important when you have a smaller team. Yes. Right? That's true. Because you are much more close-knit. And so founders, business founders that are listening to this will know that if you have a large team, actually that sort of cultural fit, while it's still important, is less pressing than it is if you have a very small close-knit team that are working in each other's pockets day day out. Yes. Um, so I think it's really, really important, as you say, to spend some time um, really sort of outlining and explaining the, the company culture and the vision and what you want to do with it and all that sort of stuff. And the second point is based on that, the self-selection thing. So it's easy to forget when you're on this side of the table and you're the one doing the recruiting that actually the candidates are also assessing you yes. at the same time, right? And it's, it's so important because that's an essential part of the process. They're interviewing you and interviewing the, the company at the same time. It's not all one way. Yes. And that's useful because it helps you put things in perspective. It brings a bit of humility. Um, and I think it just, if you approach every interview with that mindset, i.e. we're both sizing each other up here, then it just helps helps you find the best fit. Yes, absolutely. We've all heard stories about recruiters that say something like, don't come to the interview if you're not prepared to take the job at the end of it. It just makes no sense to me. Mm. What if they come to the interview and they just they think you're a bellend? Mm. Right? Of course you'd say no. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I don't, honestly. So I think it's a really important point. Yes, absolutely. I think we've covered quite well in two episodes. I think we've covered the whole how to figure out when it's time, 
how to identify the gaps that you might need help with. And I think we've covered quite well how you find people, how to pick the best ones. I think given that neither of us are professional recruiters, I think we've done a fairly fairly good job of covering that. I am sure in future episodes, people with more expertise in this area than us will come on as guests and give us more insight into the the finer details of all of this stuff. Yeah, it would be great if they did. And if you if you have any questions as listeners, if you have any questions or any insights, podcast at impactbiz.co.uk. So only one question remains on recruitment then. And it's a question for you, David. What is 71 squared? Oh, I don't know. I don't know, 4,970 something. You could just do that. Just something like that. I don't know. End of segment. (laughs) Okay, so it's time to find out literally everything that's been happening on Twitter over the past week in a short, condensed form. David, what horrors have unfolded? Well, horrors is the right word. There's three things I want to talk about, two of which are utterly horrific. The first was a terror attack in Plymouth. And the second is the withdrawal from Afghanistan and the collapse of the country and all of that sort of stuff. Now, when these horrific tragedies occur, Twitter kind of tries to make sense of them. Okay. And it's really interesting sometimes just to see how that plays out. So there have been some tremendous people in response to the attack in Plymouth, really deep diving into things like incel culture, mm-hmm. really examining that and looking for insights and sharing those insights. It's been really encouraging um, in response to what was a horrific tragedy. Similar thing happened with Afghanistan. And Afghanistan is... It, it, so I studied Afghanistan as part of my master's. Mm-hmm. It's just a, an absurdly complex situation. Mm-hmm. Um again has been fascinating because people have been given their takes on stuff when they really shouldn't be sharing that stuff because they don't know what they're talking about. Incredibly complex situations and 280 characters tend not to go too well together. So there we go. So there are two horrific tragedies, which leads me on to the third horrific tragedy, um, which is a man called Lawrence Fox. Okay. Okay. Now, Oh, hang on. He ran for um, an MP in somewhere like Sutton or something like that. Uh, he, I got it completely wrong. No, he, he he ran for mayor of London. Okay. Um, I mean, he's he, he's just fallen into that trap that we spoke about a few weeks ago. Whereas okay. you know his star was fading, and he decided he, you know he discovered that being outrageous got him attention, and then he's just latched onto that. Now, okay, he's just he's just turned into essentially just like a furious naked mole rat. Like he he looks like someone has stretched raw chicken skin over a pencil um it is astonishing uh i i have him blocked because he's so unpleasant okay um but even still occasionally he does or says or tweets something that just it pierces any armor that you've put up in place to try and protect yourself from his inane bollocks and he did that this week and he 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 shared a tweet which i know i say this most weeks this might be my favorite tweet of 2021 okay Um, i'm gonna pull it up now and, and let you see it i want to get your live reaction as we record right chris i'm gonna i'm gonna let you read this and just share your reaction all right, so I'll, I'll read it out loud. So, bad times make hard men. Hard men make good times. Good times make soft men. Soft men make bad times. <laughs> We're in bad times. We need men. What on earth is he saying? 
Honestly, honestly, does, does he I think don't he's know. a hard man? I, well, I mean, obviously, he think he does. Obviously, he does think he's a hard man. Okay, um, and it's his job to make good times. But I mean, this <laughs> honestly. What what astonishes me is that he's he sat there, he's had this thought, and he's just gone, oh, this is so wise. This is the wisest thing. I must share this profundity with the world. Like some sort of shit Jesus. And what happens when this... Like, he puts, he's just nonsensical. Mm. Like, even if you take at face value his argument, you accept, just for the sake of hypothetical argument, you just say, well, what if the premise of this is true? Right, what he has described as a cyclical event that never improves. Mm. And yet he's arguing for the perpetuation of that cyclical event. So, I mean, it just makes no sense. And this is where Twitter is at its best because as soon as something this absurd happens with someone that is so self-important and pompous, when, when this occurs, Twitter just goes into meltdown. Okay. So we had uh, we we've had parodies of it. We've had um, reassessments of maybe he's writing his grinder profile. <laughs> Is this the internal monologue of someone trying to remember his favourite porn film? Like, just Twitter just absolutely destroyed him, uh, and that has been immensely enjoyable. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Awesome. Okay, so that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can message the podcast by emailing podcast at impactbiz.co.uk. That's B-I-Z with a, a Z, not an S. Uh, and don't forget to subscribe and review the show on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, or wherever you get your, your podcast normally. Uh, so we're going to be taking a short break just while uh, David goes on holiday. We're going to be back in September of this year. Uh, if you have any topics that you'd like us to, to cover, please do reach out and, and, uh, and drop us a, a message. Uh, otherwise, we will see you in a few weeks. Cool. Founders Anonymous is an impact and fixed production.